You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, host of this episode, and I brought with me a master of photography, <laughs> my buddy Nick Page. Or are you like Lord Page now? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Sir Page. Sir Page. Sir Page. How long has it been since you and I were on a podcast together? I, yeah, we'd have to go back and look. It's It's been quite some time, probably at least a year. Yeah, maybe 1998, more. I believe. <laughs> the year was 1998. Wow. We yeah. both still had hair. It was amazing. Oh, right, right. <laughs> it was a good year. <laughs> no, I didn't have hair in 98 either. It was already gone. <laughs> womp, womp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I, I asked Nick to come on today because I needed somebody who had actual mirrorless experience. And that's going to be the first thing we're talking about. The, the real topic for the show is going to be our reaction to Nikon and mirrorless. Uh, and they're mirrorless entries, their first full frame mirrorless entries into the market, which everybody's talking about. So we have to too. <laughs> and uh, but first, before we get to that one, and we're going to go way in depth there, I'm going to geek out, which uh, probably going to have lots of people hate that too. But but um, I want to talk first, Nick, you converted to mirrorless, you've been like a long time Canon shooter, mm -hmm. uh, you made a decision and you switched to what? What are you shooting now? Uh, I am currently shooting a Sony a7R 3 and on Friday I have the a7 III coming so I am fully entrenched in Sony I'm not even adapting lenses anymore and the the transition was expensive because <laughs> uh, uh, contrary to popular popular belief I uh, I paid money for the the gear that I got I'm not endorsed by Sony even though I get lots of comments saying, oh, he's just a Sony. So he's bought off by Sony. But uh -huh. no, I was not bought off by Sony, which means I had to do the expensive transition, which was not easy, but so worth it because <laughs> okay. mirrorless is awesome. All right, it so really is. I want to know kind of why you switched. But before that, like we didn't even have this in the show notes even. Why the a7 III? Why, why do you need both? What are you, what are you doing there? So because of my YouTube channel and because of tutorials and just other things that I have going on, I'm doing a whole lot of video. Uh. And if you want to talk about an area where Sony dominates Canon, it is in the area of 4K video. Sure. I had I had 4K video on my 5D Mark IV, which was my main camera body before I switched, but it was not in a usable format. There was a crop. It was just not, it was not usable. And now I can just, you know, grab my lightweight, beautiful little camera and have a really high quality 4K video. I do, and then I have the option of, you know, just releasing it in 1080p. But then there's all those other options when you're shooting 4K sure. because I can crop in yep. on it. I can do the APS-C crop, which is really nice, the Super 35 crop. Uh, so the video aspect of the Sony's was was very very inviting and it made sense for me because I'm doing so much more but there's so many more advantages to mirrorless than just you know the smaller the smaller size and I think a lot of people get hung up on well they're not that much smaller and you're right they're not that much smaller but that's not the main reason you go mirrorless okay uh, for me like the electronic viewfinder is a game changer it's absolutely one of those 
very few things that you can legitimately call a game changer to be able to see what your exposure is exactly your depth of field is exactly before you even hit the shutter and to be able to see all of that through uh, the you know through an eyepiece is amazing and i loved that experience Okay. All right. So let's, let's talk about how you were convinced uh, the way this, this happened. You, you kind of, what did you rent the Sony and mm-hmm. it just was so good. You couldn't ignore it anymore. Is that kind of how it went? Yeah. Cause I, I was curious, like most Canon users are, if we're all honest, I was curious, you know, yeah. I wanted to see, see how green that grass was on the other <laughs> side of the street. And I, so I rented Sony a7R3, 16 to 35, 28, 100 to 400 and a 70 to 200. And going into it, I knew that I was going to like the image quality because that's one of those things you can just find out on the internet. But what I was really curious about is like, okay, how is the focusing system? Because you know, when when you're defending a DSLR versus a mirrorless camera, the first thing you jump <laughs> on is, well, you know, the focusing systems, they're just not as good. Right. Turns out they were excellent. The, the, the focusing system I felt was just as good, at least in most well-lit situations, just as good as my 5D Mark IV, only with like a million focus points rather than, <laughs> right. you know, rather than 30 or uh-huh. whatever. That and uh, eye autofocus cannot be un- overstated for how good it is and how how convenient it is. So I've done a few portrait shoots with um, with my Sony A7R three, and to be able to not even attempt to move a focus point and it just grabs an eye without effort at all is so so incredibly nice and it will just instantly spoil you yeah as soon as you go back to using to having to move a focus point around it's just like oh that's so 2015 (laughs) (laughs) we have technology that can do this yeah Yeah. and it's just so nice and it works so well it tracks really well i've actually seen it work in situations where people are photographing like a, a sport like soccer and it'll still grab an eye and it'll track an eye at those high speeds, and that's just crazy. And and it doesn't um, do a good. So I've never used that feature. I'm I'm super envious of it. I think that sounds awesome. Does it track the closest eye? Um, typically, yes. It, I think it it automatically grabs the biggest eye. Oh, okay. Which unless somebody which is, is usually closest, you know, okay, pretty yeah, or either that or they're funny looking, and it just grabs the. <laughs> Was the big one, but typically the biggest eye is the closest eye okay. uh, because of physics and stuff. But for portrait work and wedding work, it is fantastic. Uh, I don't know about sports. That's getting pretty brave and asking quite, asking quite a bit, but I've had great success with eye autofocus. So you haven't tried it with a lot of sports shooting yet? No, not yet. Um, actually, the only sport that I've shot with it so far has been golf, which is let's be honest, it's not the most demanding (laughs) sport to photograph. Uh, But I'm going to be shooting an NFL game again this year, and I plan on doing it not with an A9, but with a Sony a7R Uh III. And a Sony a7 III is my backup camera. So we will see how that goes. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Maybe we'll have to have you come back on and and talk about that experience. Yeah, and and cry. And cry. (laughs) Talk about my my epic failure at the the pro level. No, no. We'll see. Lord Page does not fail. 
<laughs> Lord Page will find a way. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so so you rented it and you were just... So EVF, game changer, super important. And, and we're going to talk about that a little more as we go through the specs. Yeah. That's the thing that entices me the very most about Marilis. I want that really bad. <laughs> really, really bad. I want That's a histogram nice. in the EVF. I want that there to... Ah, man that that i would give up a lot with my cameras to get that and uh mm-hmm. so I, i'm i'm really excited at the prospect of uh, a canon mirrorless that would lower my barrier to entry because i have all the canon glass i just don't want to deal with selling my stuff yeah. uh, as a hobbyist i mean if, if i was doing this full time this would be really easy because i'd probably just you know buy ahead buy the, the gear i want and then i'd take my time and sell off the stuff but as a hobbyist i, I don't have that i can't do it so I really want Canon's full frame to be something that makes it so I can try this out and really, really do it. I did try the a7R3. I rented one a little while ago, but I rented it with a really specific purpose and I got just lit up like crazy for it because people disagreed so much with my my assessment. I wanted to see, is it a valid option for me to continue using my Canon glass? Yeah. And, and that's the whole purpose I was renting it for. It was not to try out native lenses. I am confident it would have been way better with that. Sure, absolutely. But because of my situation and where I was, I want to know... Can I even consider buying one of these, uh, a Sony body and adapt my glass? And it was, it was fine. It wasn't great. It, w- it worked. Yeah. It was acceptable. I shot a high school basketball game with it and I got some cool shots. So it can work. It can work fine. But the price tag was still big enough. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to wait. I'm just, I'm going to let things continue to develop and I'm going to wait. I, I don't need to dive in. I loved trying it out. It was really fun to do it, but I'm going to wait. So it was real interesting to see that you switched um, kind of yeah. a little bit after I did that. Um, and the end. If you're somebody that's going to be adapting lenses, you are definitely giving up quite a bit. Sure. I think that the I went in with the same expectations of, yeah, I'll just adapt lenses for a while. And I did that, but you lose so much autofocus capabilities. Like you lose a lot of the video tracking, you lose a lot of eye autofocus. Yep, yep. And I had I had and I think I still have one of them, but I had both the Sigma adapter and the Metabones adapter and I was determined to make <laughs> adapting work. And then eventually I just gave up. I was like, you know what? That 16 to 35 f2.8 is smaller and lighter. And then, and I won't have that big adapter hanging off the back. And so I'm all native lenses now. And sure. I, I don't regret it, but man, Sony lenses are not cheap. Right. So, so you got to go in with a little bit of a budget. Right. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you said though, that, that those things are all great, but the thing that really changed it for you was the image quality. You're just like, it's so big you couldn't ignore it you get back on your computer yeah. like oh my goodness wow right that yeah that was what did it for you okay so what about like the nikon d850 though what how would that have had the same kind of effect the thing is the d850 <laughs> does have just as good an image quality let's be honest just as good a quality as the a7r3 but it doesn't have all of those mirrorless right. uh, mirrorless options like electronic viewfinder. And part of the part of the draw for me was is if I'm going to go to the trouble to sell all of my stuff, I at least want it to be different and fun. And 
that's one of the things that people don't really talk about is just how enjoyable is a camera. And I found the, the Sony camera to just be fun again because it was different than what I was used to. It was this small, cute little thing that had better image quality than I was used to. And because I do so much video, like I was saying, Nikon wasn't even an option because Nikon is notoriously, n- notoriously, <laughs> that was a combination of two words, notoriously. Your, your Lord page, you can make up new words. <laughs> notoriously. <laughs> notoriously horrible uh, video quality because their autofocus is just bad. No serious videographer uses uh-huh. Nikon unless they're using you know rack focus and stuff, which you know I can't really be doing because I'm I'm doing selfie style video so often that rack focus isn't going to work. So for video purposes alone, that Nikon just wasn't an option. Okay. All right. So, but image quality wise, it probably is super comparable. I mean, yep. Sony makes the sensor in there anyway, so <laughs> super yep. comparable. And and that might have, have been a good thing. But video for you puts it over the top. And, and the fun factor, like you said, I think that also extends to a lot of the other mirrorless cameras, even like micro four thirds cameras, uh, the Fuji stuff. That seems to be a super common theme ac- across all the people who've gone to those or maybe even start out with those. It's like, these are just really fun cameras to use. It's yeah. It's just fun. And uh, so maybe it's a way to like break you out of your mold. And if photography's like become a drudgery and you used to really love it, but you're not in love with it now, that might be a way to jumpstart it and get back, fall back in love with the photography. So. Yep. And nothing can mix it up better than a menu system that is completely foreign to you. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to completely relearn photography or at least menu systems because the Sony menu system, not intuitive. I'll admit that. But... Uh, one of the things I always recommend to people is that you go in to the My Menu system, you find everything that you think that you're going to go into the menu for, put it in My Menu, and then you never have to go in the menu again, and that <laughs> works pretty well. I was expecting it to be dreadful because I'd heard that over and over and over. So many people just really bagged on this, the menu system, and when I got that rental, I was like expecting to be really... Uh, hard. I only had it for a weekend. And so I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm going to have to spend like hours <laughs> with this menu system so I can figure it out. And it wasn't that bad. I was like, I was, nah. it, it didn't meet the bar that was set. Like I was expecting this really low bar <laughs> on the menu system. And when I was like, eh, this is fine. I, yeah, it's different. <laughs> sure. But it's fine. Yeah, the thing that gets you is the terminology yeah. because they, they have just stupid names for things. <laughs> like <laughs> instead of the beep that happens like when you put it on two second timer, it goes beep, 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 and then takes a picture. That's called audio signals. <laughs> and and the highlight alert becomes zebras and yeah. all of these funny things. It just doesn't and it's because, you know, the 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 terms that make sense, they've all been copyrighted. So now they have to get really inventive and be like, you know, coming up with new terms for things that we, re, you know, we think of as something else. All right. So, so uh, okay, that that's great. I, I think that'll give uh, a lot of listeners a flavor for like what went into Lord Page's decision as he <laughs> as he switched over, uh, and and it's cool. I I expect I'm going to switch at some point to something else. At, at some point, I just won't be able to ignore it anymore. Like like you found, um, I'm hoping Canon can do it because that'll make it just that much easier <laughs> for me to get yeah. there. But we'll see. We'll see what they come out with. I may hate it. I, it may be like, yeah, I still don't see enough here to make it. So I'm going to change. And I still may decide, yeah, I'm going to give it more time because it's just so painful for me to switch. 
mm-hmm. but uh, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And when I switched, the number one question that I was asked is, why are you not waiting to see what Canon and Nikon <laughs> release? Yeah. And at the time, this was what a month and a half, two months ago, something. Maybe it was three months ago already. Time flies when you're when you're doing photography. Uh, the number one question that I was asked is, why aren't you waiting for what to see what Canon and Nikon release? And my answer to that was. I'm skeptical that their first release is going to compete with what Sony has already. Uh-huh. And the reason for that is because generally it takes several generations to, you know, for one, get in touch with what it is that customers want. And for two, you can't, it, typically that first generation is full of bugs and full of bad decisions. And I kind of think that Canon most likely is going to make some of those bad decisions, and I guess we're going to start talking about what Nikon released. I just think that Sony, in the world of mirrorless, is a more mature product because they've had you know three generations now to fine tune what it is that people want and what they're looking for. So that was why I didn't just wait and see what happens with Canon is because I felt like I can either wait five years and wait for Canon and Nikon to catch up, or I can just switch now. And so. That was the decision that I made. Okay, and we'll at the end let's we'll talk we'll say did you make the right decision? Let's save it though. Let's don't do it yet. <laughs> let's okay. save it. Let's go through the specs. And so I mean, I can't control it, the geeky side of me, just I have to dig in. And I think everyone would be disappointed if I didn't. So hopefully if uh, hopefully it'll be okay. <laughs> we'll see. And uh, so let's go through. Here's here's just the straight up specs. These are just the facts coming right off of Nikon's press releases as they had their big event about a little less than a week ago as we record here in uh, like late August 2018. So uh, the first model is the, we'll go with like the, the least expensive of the two options. They have the Z6 and the Z7. The Z6 is 24 megapixels backside illuminated full frame sensor. And so I, I tried to look it up real quick. I can't remember. And I think this is the first backside illuminated sensor in a Nikon camera. And that's kind of a big deal uh, technology-wise. I, it, I can't go into all the details here. There's too much to talk about. But it is kind of a big deal. I, I will address it a little bit more in a moment. But the next thing is the new Z-mount, which is the very widest mount for a full-frame camera today. We're going to talk about more about that too a single XQD card, memory card slot, uh, a 1.27 centimeter or half inch, a 3690K dot, it's a quad VGA OLED viewfinder. So that's that electronic viewfinder. And uh, that's I'm pretty excited about that. 5.5 frames per second continuous, up to 12 frames per second continuous extended. And there's kind of a caveat there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Uh, ISO 100 to 51200. Uh, pretty decent ISO there. Of course, the upper end's probably next to useless anyway, but like on all cameras, they advertise it way more than is useful. Uh, 4K UDH, 3840 by 2160, 30 frames per second video. So they did do a little better on video than, than maybe they've done in the past. Well, no, the 850 had the same video resolutions available. It was the focus stuff that you didn't like so much on the Nikon video. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. 3.2 tiltable and touch sensitive rear LCD. So that's pretty decent. We want some detail there. It uses a new uh, ENEL15B battery. It's exactly the same form factor as what's used in a lot of Nikon cameras, but it, they did create like a higher capacity version. So that, and it's rated at getting 310 shots or about 85 minutes of video recording. And so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, flash sync speed of one two hundredth of a second, 273 single point focus points, five axis in-body image stabilization. It's compatible with all Nikon peripherals. That's a very big deal that this camera is going to be able to reuse everything you've got Nikon with this body. That's kind of a big deal. And then 2000 I had like too many zeros in this in the show notes, but $2,000 $20, for just the body. All right. So there's your, your lower end. Uh, full frame sensor and everything else is identical like even body structure wise and everything it's all the same with the z7 you couldn't tell the two apart other than um you know the image is coming out of it because it's a different sensor and the label on the front that says z6 or z7 so there's they're totally the same except for these areas uh the z7 is 46 megapixels also backside illuminated full frame same 5.5 rates uh, frames per second continuous, but it only goes up to nine continuous extended. So not the 12. Uh, ISO 64 to 25600. So a little less on the high side for the ISO part. 493 focus points, like almost double the focus points. Um, 330 shots. So you get a whole extra 20 shots <laughs> out of that camera on the battery. And then it's $3,400 for just the body. So there's the raw specs. That's, that's what they announced. It's what's there. There's been a lot of people that have had some hands-on experience with it now. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk through some of the stuff that I've, I've seen from those people who have had real hands-on experience. They're pre-release version of the body. So it's not the final version. Stuff can change, but that's what we have. And, and we're going to talk about some of the reactions. But so Nick, based on the specs that are there, what, give me your reaction. What, what do you think about this? I think on paper, they look good. They, they, they look great on paper, and there's some things that are going into these cameras that I'm excited about, and as a Sony shooter, I'm jealous of. For one thing, they're talking that these are going to have the same weather ceiling yeah. as the DA50, and that is a big deal in mirrorless. That's going to be a, a first for full-frame mirrorless, and as a landscape shooter, I'm jealous of that. I know that I'm also going to be jealous of their implementation of the touchscreen because the Sony touchscreens are pretty limited and they're kind of lackluster to be honest. And it looks like they're doing a really good job with the touchscreen. Uh, by all reports, the, the viewfinder is really bright and really high definition. I'm excited for that. And that might be it. <laughs> I, okay. Maybe the ergonomics, like the grip looks big and beefy. It looks like it's easy to grab onto, but I think the Z6 is looking like it makes sense. You look at that and you're like, for 2000 bucks, that looks like a good deal. But when you look at the Z7, it's a $3,400 camera, and I'm going to be the first to say it, with one card slot. What <laughs> in the world? Who, uh, so... I know we're like a weekend and everybody has had their yeah. chance to take yeah. a crack at Nikon for the one card slot, right. but there is not a single wedding photographer or sports photographer or anyone that does uh, paid work for important events that is going to look at that and be like, eh, 
I don't care. And I know there's a lot of people that are like, you know what, I have two card slots, but I usually only use one. And I think the majority of users go that route. But the pro people that can get sued if they lose images, this camera is not going to be for them. And by all reports, the, you know, from the reviews that I've seen, and I know these are pre-production cameras that they're testing, but by all reports, the autofocus is pretty um, disappointing as well yeah. as far as the, the way it performs and tracking and stuff. So $3,400, which is more than a DA50, is, it seems a bit much. And I don't know, I don't know if how many professional photographers are going to be swayed by that. I think it's, it still seems to be like, well, it's, it's great that they have all these wonderful features and the future is looking bright for this particular camera line. But I don't know that I could recommend anybody go spend $3,400 on a Z7 rather than a D850. Right. What do you think? Okay. So before I tell you what I'm thinking, what... So you're you're convinced you made a good decision. Like Nikon full frame doesn't make sense for you, especially because you were a Canon shooter. So you didn't have investment in lenses. You didn't have investment in flashes for it. So it wouldn't make sense. Like these specs now that you've seen, you're like, you're not saying, oh, darn it. I should have switched. I should have waited for Nikon. No, I, I'm sitting over here with a smirk on my face <laughs> saying I, I knew it. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. What, what would Canon have to do in their camera to make it so that you did think, ah, shoot, I should have waited. Well, the, the first and most obvious thing would be a camera that wouldn't require an, an adapter. That would be, that would probably be a miracle yeah. of, phys of modern physics because it's probably impossible. Yeah, I don't think it but, is possible. Right. Right. That would be a big deal. But if you, if they could provide an adapter that gave you just a good, uh, just as good an autofocus with the old EF mount uh -huh. as whatever new mount they're going to be coming up out with, that would be like, Ooh, that, I wish I wouldn't have got rid of all of my lenses. <laughs> and if they could give a lot of these same specs that can, that Nikon just came out with, as far as better weather sealing, um, what else? <laughs> what else is improved? Uh, you know, a, a better touch screen, the dual pixel AF. Like, there's a lot of things that Canon could do to, could do really good at. If they could do that in a pro body with, you know. A, with two card slots <laughs> <laughs> and better ergonomics and all of that stuff that would that would make me question my choice to switch over because I, I do feel like Canon uh, because of the dual pixel AF I yeah. feel like Canon has some technology that could be incredibly useful in a mirrorless body and I had the Canon M6 which was their their little crop crop sensor mirrorless yep. and it focused really well. I was impressed with that tiny little thing. And I think that uh, if they could implement a lot of that same stuff in a full frame camera with really good weather sealing and really good touch screen, a lot of that stuff would make me feel like maybe I didn't make the right decision, but I'm, but I'm still skeptical that they're going to release something with good video specs because right. Canon is just notorious they for have, like holding stuff. Yeah. Back. They've been behind there forever. Yeah, they really have. Yeah. Okay, so uh, there is rumor that... So the rumors for a long time were nothing from Canon this year. They're not ready. It's going to be 2019 before they do anything here. That changed like two or three days ago. Canon rumors had an article that said, we may have blown it. It looks like there may be something early September announced. And we're not exactly sure what it is, but it's probably not... Maybe not the full 
pro level body that they're going to release. It might be kind of a, a, a little bit more of a dip of the toe in the water, but, uh, but there's probably something coming early September. So we'll see. I don't know. We'll, I, I don't have any insight into that to know for sure. But uh, when they do release something, we're going to have to have you back on and say, now, do you wish you waited for Canada? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think it, it, that makes sense to release something that is not like their flagship mirrorless first, because that first Canon mirrorless body that people buy, it's most likely going to be people hanging on to their DSLR. They yep. just want to kind of dip their toe and it's easier to dip your toe in a $2,000 pool rather than a you know $3,500 pool. I'm trying to remember the rumored price that went along with it. And if it's real, it would be super tempting because the rumor was still full frame, still like around 24 megapixels. But if I remember right, it was like less than 1500 Wow! that it was rumored. And that would really make me think. <laughs> yep. I'd be sorely tempted to really check. I'd for certain have to rent it and see what how I, I liked it. Uh, <clears throat> but it might convince me to finally go to full frame because yep. that's, that price tag isn't so big that it's a problem. So anyway... All right, let's let's go to my reaction. Um, and I just I want to do what I can. It's probably going to happen anyway, but I want to do what I can to try to limit the torches and pitchforks after this episode of people <laughs> saying that I'm just hating on Nikon. Uh, so just to be totally upfront, like I this is for sure going to be an excellent product. I'm not saying this thing is like a such a massive failure. Anyone who buys it is just uh, you know ridiculous, or or it's it you shouldn't go do it. Uh, it's going to be a, a fantastic camera. No question. As long as you're not shooting weddings. <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, there's some serious caveats to consider for sure before people go buy it, but they've already had like massive appeal for it. They've sold out of pre-orders. It's appealing to a lot of people. There's probably a bunch that just they they, they have such massive investment in icon that they want to try it out. They want to see how this works, how it goes, what's it like. And even if it doesn't become one of their main bodies, maybe they're a, a studio that has all Nikon gear and they want to just, you know, give it a try and they'll maybe they'll they'll decide not we got to stay with what we've got right now because it just doesn't quite fit, but they want they want to check it out. Totally understandable. I could see people wanting to do that. There may be some cases where you can even get better image quality than say the D850 uh, with that that uh, the way the sensor is built. We're going to get to that in a second. So okay, there's there's potential that this is going to be like a really super good camera still. But there are some things to consider. So that's, you don't need to like Facebook me and tell me I'm an icon hater or any of that. I, it's, it's not that. It's just, there are some things and it's not just me. This is a lot of detail I'm going to go through that, um, that's coming uh, in mo a lot of reaction that people have, have hands on have had with it. So I'm going to go through the specs and a lot of detail here. And Nick, feel free to, to interject as I go through it. But first, we got to take a quick break to thank the sponsors of this episode. If you're anything like me and you're looking for a professional printing service to turn your photos into canvas prints, you want someone who's reliable, who's using the highest quality canvas, and who is affordable. Well, good news, Royal Canvas is all three of those things. They print in 11 colors, use premium canvas that doesn't crack when it's stretched, and they ship super fast, usually within two or three days of ordering. 
Plus, if you ever need to contact them, you'll be talking to a real person who can help you out with accurate information and resolve any problems quickly. With Royal Canvas, you're getting a premium quality canvas, archival ink, and an expert stretch. So go ahead and give it a try. Go to royalcanvas.com master and you'll get 40% off of a single canvas print and an additional 10% off of poster or metal prints. Or if you'd like a sample, feel free to email service at royalcanvas.com and they'll send you a free canvas color swatch. That's royalcanvas.com master for 40% off of a single canvas print and an additional 10% off of poster or metal prints. All right. First up, I'm going to go through like the pros, the things that I think are super positive about this release, because there are some things that are really, really positive. Mm-hmm. And then we'll get to the negative stuff towards the end. So first up, and, and I don't think I can emphasize this enough. I am so excited about that Z mount. It is, uh, I think Nikon nailed it in that regard. Like this is a mount that is going to be future proofed for a very, very long time. And it has to do with the size of it. So the, the mount that they had today is, is quite a bit smaller. And it's really why they didn't have a choice when they went to a mirrorless camera. In order to achieve the features that people are accustomed to with mirrorless, they had to have a much wider mount. So they didn't have a choice. You can't, you can't be um, restricted on what you can do in your camera because your mount's too small they had to to increase it so it's now a 52 millimeter wide mount and that's second only to canon ef in the full frame world that is a whole two millimeters bigger it's 54 millimeters but where it's it's why it's so much bigger is the flange distance and that's it's only 16 millimeters on the z mount compared to canon's 44 millimeters so a whole bunch of the the canon e mount ef mount is taken up by that flange and that's why i think canon also has to have a bigger mount there's just they're not going to be able to have it just be EF. Adapting might be pretty easy for them because the mounts, the, the size of the mount was already pretty big, and uh, all they have to really do is kind of reduce the flange. But we'll see where they go. We'll see what happens there. Uh, still, I think that it's it's a big deal, and it beats the Sony E mount by f- uh, quite a bit. It's uh, Sony's is forty six millimeters with an eighteen millimeter flange, so it's it is significantly bigger than Sony's mount, and that could prove to be a pretty big advantage in the long run for, for them. It's almost as big as Fuji's G mount for medium format sensor, yeah. and that's a big deal. Yeah, and that larger mount that's going to allow it to. Uh, uh, allow a lot of things to happen. First of all, really, really fast glass. It's going to let in a ton of light if you have the budget for that. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, theoretically, that's going to allow the, allow for a lot more in in built-in image stabilization. It's with that sensor moving around. It's going to, that sensor is going to have more room to move around without running into crazy vignetting and stuff. Right. Yeah. Pixel shifting, Star Trek, some of the features that that other mirrorless bodies have had for a while because their mount was designed so big from the beginning as they built the camera. I think Nikon did a very good job in nailing this part of it so that they have tons of options 
for expanding on the in the future on this mount. So not short sighted. They they're not going to run into a problem anytime soon in what they can accomplish in their bodies because this mount is right. This is good. It has uh, eleven contacts instead of eight, so they can do a little bit more as the lenses communicate with the body too. They have some more options that are there. It also this was really interesting. I didn't see a lot of people talking about this. It has four metal ridges instead of two. So as you screw the the lens onto the camera, it kind of has to fit into this gr- these grooves and and then locks into place. And it's held in place by two ridges on the uh, the F mount, and they've gone to four. So that's going to give it more stability and and able to to stick onto that camera even better. So so that's a, a plus in just like the durability and and, and how it's going to stick on the camera. Um, mm-hmm. Finally, it's going to be it's going to allow for simpler, smaller lenses to be manufactured at less cost. In in some cases, it doesn't mean lighter necessarily, because um, you you actually have a bigger mount you have to accommodate. But it, it should mean that there are going to be some lenses that they're going to be able to produce at a at a lower cost than they would have had with a, a smaller size mount. So it's going to be really that that's a super positive thing. The Z mount, it, they nailed it. It's really good, and I hope Canon similarly nails it. <laughs> they need yeah. to. All right. Um, the next pro image in body image stabilization. So it's a staple in like most mirrorless cameras. Almost all of them have this feature and, uh, and because of the mount that made it aw- uh, uh, available and it's, it's just really cool. Unfortunately, it kind of goes a little bit into the con category here because the early reviews from the people that had hands on with the the pre-release version of the bodies said they're not really sure it helped. <laughs> it didn't seem to really impact uh, their ability to get sharp shots in lower light. So we'll see. Yeah, and that's the thing about in-body stabilization with a full frame sensor, the the sensor can only move so much. And that's one of the the uh, biggest advantages that like Micro Four Thirds has over a, a full frame camera is the fact that they those sensors can move around so much that you get just ridiculous amounts of in body stabilization. And I think that with this larger mount, maybe you're not going to see uh, the the early you know the first generation cameras right. have lots and lots of image stabilization. But hopefully, as they kind of dial it in, future versions of this camera are going to have much more stabilization that they can offer a lens. Or maybe they fix it as it goes to get released. Maybe yeah. they, they take the feedback. Cause I'm sure they're, they're hearing all of these, uh, the criticism coming from, from the reviewers too. And they're going to go and they're going to really look at what can we do to try to meet this criticism? Is there anything we can do in like firmware updates that address it? And maybe this is one where they can, we'll see. I, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. and, or maybe it's going to require a, a refresh of the line to really make this a true thing. But the fact that it's a possibility and they have, they have the mount so that it can work. That's a, it's just a big deal. All right. Next one, next pro for me was backside illuminated sensor. So it's called a BSI sensor for short. And, uh, okay. I don't want to go into too much detail here, but instead of like the CMOS sensors that most Nikon cameras have had to this, I think all have had to this point, this BSI technology, it, it improves the ability of each little photo dialed, each little pixel of the sensor to record light. They they just get a little bit more ability to record light. And that's really cool. That uh, Nikon has already been known for having sp- uh, really good dynamic range and low light performance. Their sensors have been awesome for a very long time. 
And um, this probably makes it elevated a little bit more. It's why we might be able to expect a little better performance out of even like the D850 or, or some of the other cam Nikon cameras in low light than before, just because of the sensor change and, and making it there. So massive, um, massive pro here. I expect this to be mean insanely good image quality coming out of the sensor. Yeah, and that's exciting because I think these two particular cameras are going to be, uh, I think landscape photographers are going to be the first to pick the, these cameras yeah, up right, because, right. you know, everything that is available there on these cameras is going to be perfect for the landscape photographer. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's a very good use case for it. I think, uh, there's probably going to, I I imagine we're going to have a flood of landscape reviewer, reviewers saying, I don't know what you guys are talking about. This camera is awesome. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it probably will be. All right. Uh, pro, another pro, 12 frames a second with the Z6. So that's pretty good. It's a pretty good frame rate. Now, they do have the small little caveats here, and we're mm -hmm. going to get into a couple of cons that are related to this. But... Um, the, the real caveat was you can't do 14-bit RAW and get that rate. It's going to be slower than that with 14-bit RAW. And but you know what? I don't think that's that big of a deal. Um, there is a, a, a practical difference between 12 and 14, but it's not so big that you're like giving up a huge amount as you're going to go post-process these images. And 12 frames per second is really, really good. I get 10 frames per second with my 7D Mark II, my Canon 7D Mark II, and I love that for shooting sports. I would love to have two, two frames per second more. That would be awesome. So I think this is a pro. We're going to talk about some of the similar areas where there's a little bit of con here but uh, mm -hmm. but i like this i think this is good yeah i think that i think that could be good <laughs> but, <laughs> but we'll get into the cons yeah there so are we'll... some there are a couple <laughs> more caveats we'll get yeah. into that okay and the next pro tiltable touch rear lcd so touch that's awesome i don't know why anyone would produce a camera today that doesn't have touch we kind of expect it we have smartphones that do touch insanely well why wouldn't your camera do touch insanely well? It's just, it should be there. And uh, some of the big manufacturers have missed the mark there for a while. The Canon's first uh, tries at it were not great. Nikon's have had some issues too. And the, the reviews hands-on were, yeah, the touch was pretty good. There is a, a little caveat with one thing that's not there and seems like silly. And we'll talk about that in a second related to touch, but that's good. It's a, it's a pro touch, responsive touch seems good. And then tiltable is good too. I like that they didn't make it fixed that you couldn't move the LCD. I don't get why they didn't go articulating. Like, why? Mm -hmm. What is the... Uh, why... Nick, tell me, as a pro, why is it you don't want an articulating screen? There, There is no reason not <laughs> to have that. And especially as big as the vlogging market is nowadays for, you know, YouTubers that are vlogging. Yeah. There are so many of them. You're missing out on that market. You know, you have the, the Canon... Uh, 6D Mark II, which is doing really well purely because of that <laughs> because articulated it screen. There, it has nothing else going for it practically, right. and and it's a big seller. It, all it would take is another full frame camera to have that articulating screen, and it would be just a massive hit with all of the YouTubers okay, out there. Okay, so and articulating, I, I meant to define it beforehand. That means that you could like completely 
you swivel it around like a full 180 degrees and you can be looking yep. at it while you're in front of the camera. And uh, it's just, I don't understand why it's been forever that it seems like the manufacturers have viewed it this way, that it's a pro feature, that it's like even fixed. You know, you can't even tilt it. I don't, maybe it's weather sealing purposes. I don't know. It, I, I'm not sure why, but uh, at least it's tiltable. That's good. I wish they'd have gone all the way to articulating. That would have been amazing. Um, now, the, the one little caveat with the touchscreen, the, the thing that seems a little out of place um, and it's a Sony feature, I think, isn't it, Nick, that when you're looking through the, the electronic viewfinder, you can use the touch screen to change where your focus point is. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Where you can, as you're looking through the viewfinder, you can use your right thumb to quickly move the, move your focus point around on the, on the back of the LCD. Which is more like convenient than like a joystick. And that's what you're going to have to use with these cameras. They have, they at least have one. They, there were some reason, I think it was the D850 doesn't have the joystick and, and that doesn't make any sense at all. So, uh, but you can't, you, they don't have that feature. You can't use the touch screen to move the focus point. Just, just like, why, what, how do you not do that? That's and I almost feel like that's something that could be changed in a firmware. Yeah, update sure, sure. Because it's got to be super simple. That that touch screen is definitely capable of it. Right. It's just a matter of whether they will fix that in a firmware update. I imagine if enough people complain, uh, they'll fix it. Yeah. It's just, I know it's proven out to be something that's been like a real plus for the Sony world. So uh, confusing why you have a touch screen and you didn't put that in there. So hopefully you can fix it with firmware. All right. Uh, pro and it's another pro OLED viewfinder. So after four years of using my iPhone 6, I finally upgraded to an iPhone X, an iPhone 10, and it has an OLED screen. And I love that OLED screen. It is really, yeah. really beautiful. And I expect... So Sony's got OLED viewfinders too. It's part of the reason... They kind of pioneered this and it's part of the reason their their uh, electronic viewfinders have been reviewed so well. So I'm glad to see that Nikon went there. They did OLED. They've got a, a high-resolution screen. It should be beautiful. It should be a very, very nice EVF. Yeah, and everybody that I've seen review it, they all praise right. uh, how good the viewfinder looks. So it must be good. So that that's excellent. That's uh, it's one thing that would be tough to fix later. Like if they went with an LCD viewfinder that wasn't quite up to par, boy, putting that in the next model would be a little harder. But you started off right, and they they got that in there now. Uh, the next pro, from my perspective, not everyone's going to agree with this, but for my use or or what I want out of a camera, I don't want a little bitty. <laughs> A little bitty sized camera. Uh, I want something that's a little meatier. My hands are not small. So so when I get a little tiny camera in my hands, uh, it feels awkward. It's really hard for me to use the body. And that was actually part of like the A7R3. I didn't get a grip when I rented it. And it was awkward. It was really mm-hmm. hard for me to use that camera. Um, like I'm glad I had it kind of, uh, t- I had a strap on it cause I, I almost dropped the thing several times and it just, it didn't fit my ergonomics the way that I wanted to. And it looks to me like these cameras have a little bit more heft to them so that the little more size to them to, to maybe make that a little bit less awkward for people who are used to the bigger DSLR bodies. Then there's also the weather sealing and the build quality that, um, that are, are look to be, uh, really, really good. So you already mentioned this, Nick, but the, the, the build quality, the weather ceiling on, on some of the others, Sony in particular has not been, you know, stellar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's not something that I've I've tested to the max yet, and I I, I would be lying if I didn't say I was nervous, right. <laughs> because uh, I am nervous about the first time I really shoot in a hard downward 
you know, a hard downpour. But Nikon is doing something really smart here with the the larger grip because the camera itself doesn't have to be bigger, just the grip. Yep. You can make that grip big and beefy and then keep the rest of the camera fairly small and it's not going to feel like a small camera. So they're really smart to increase the grip size because uh, that's one of the benefits that they have is listening to all the complaints that have happened, you know, w- about Sony cameras. They can kind of learn from that, put a bigger grip on it, and and uh, save themselves some of the griping that has happened with uh, Sony cameras. So I, I think this one sets itself above a lot of other mirrorless cameras. The the weather sealing, dust resistance, the build quality, all of that's going to be really good. I'm just I'm trusting. I haven't seen it myself. The hands on kind of all. Re- said that was true too we won't know for sure until people go out and start shooting waterfalls and <laughs> and things are going to really put it to the test but um but that i i expect nikon's going to really do a good job there because they do it with their other cameras so why wouldn't they here yeah. yep all right now let's get into the cons so there's there's there are some serious pros i want everyone to know we said pros <laughs> we said lots of pros here now we'll talk about the things that i don't think were good decisions or are challenges that they're going to have all right, first one up is that single XQD card slot. So let's talk XQD first before the fact that it's the only one slot. So XQD is not a brand new format. It's been in many Nikon bodies already and in a few other cameras. Um, it's theoretically way faster than SD cards. Like the, the max throughput is theoretically about 400% faster than an SD card slot. Um, in practice, it's not that much faster right now. Uh, the implementations of the card slots probably just are not doing a very good job of it. So that you can check out some testing, real-world testing that my friend Jeff Steinward, Steinwand over at cameramemoryspeed.com has. He has up there a, a couple of tests he did with the D500 and the D5. So they're not the brand, the, the very newest cameras from Nikon, but they were not able to get uh, huge performance numbers out of the XQD card um, that you you should theoretically be able to get. And it may change over time. They may get better at doing this. And But the, the performance difference between SD and XQD on paper is supposed to be huge and practice doesn't seem to be that big a deal. Uh, they're more durable, supposedly that like, uh, less bendable. Although Sony just announced some brand new SD cards (laughs) that, that kind of address these sorts of things with SD. So I'm not sure that that's really going to be a big deal. And we, they haven't been around long enough to really know how well they endure, how durable they are, but they're supposed to be this one. One of the features of XQDs are supposed to be more durable uh, the other challenge that I see with XQD is you don't have a lot of people making them. So Sony does and Lexar does. And I think Nikon's going to start making them. Um, I, I think I saw news about that. But you don't have players like SanDisk, for example, are not making XQD. And that means that they're going to be more expensive. There's less pe- There's less manufacturers making them, less competition in the space. Right now, they're about 30% more expensive, roughly, when I looked today to see what the cost was. So that's not huge, but it'd be nice. And, and maybe as Nikon continues down this road, they, they're betting on this card slot. I don't think it's the wrong bet because of the speed the performance things that are potentially there. I think that is probably the right one to do. It might be tough today. Like if you wanted to switch from your, uh, a Nikon camera that had CF or, or SD and you don't have XQD cards, you got to go get those. That's now another expense you're going to have to add on top. 
but it's probably not that big a deal. It's not really why I'm putting it in the cons category. The reason is because it's only one slot. Right. Oh, I just, what are they doing? <laughs> right. I mean, XQD cards are great and all, but they're not you know, self redundant. <laughs> They're not no. backing themselves up. And I think in the, in the Z six, it totally makes sense to put one sure. card slot. That's sure. like the, it's kind of their affordable full frame mirrorless. Right. But if, if you're going to have a $3,400 camera, that's like geared towards the pro. It's like, you know, the top of the line for them right now, they're, they're top of the line mirrorless. And now all of those people that are shooting really important stuff that need a redundant card system, they just can't do it. And I don't see why in that giant grip that they put on the camera, <laughs> why they can't have two card slots. XQDs are not huge. And, you know, if you're worried about that, put the second one as an SD card or something. But still, you got to have two card slots. So I, I heard from a person who was there at the press event doing the hands-on that they got to talk to engineers, Nikon engineers, and said, okay, why? Why did you do one slot? That seems like an automatic, like even if it's going to be fine for most people, even if the, the XQD is so much more reliable that this, the, the risk is not there, it's going to be an automatic like bullet point on any competitor yeah. slide now of hey, there's only one slot. They don't that's not really a pro camera. That's just how it is. And and so why even like have it be a thing? You could easily put in another slide and the engineer said, "Well, we were told we had to make this thing as small as we possibly could." So we took out the slot. And I don't know if that's yeah. true or not. It's it's like fourth hand that I'm hearing that information. But why I just can't imagine that it was worth that to try to make right. it that much a tiny bit smaller to take out a second slot. It's just insane to me. I mean, okay. So e even as a hobbyist and I've had, I've already had lots of feedback. We talked about this previously about uh, single card slots on, on the podcast. So I've had lots of people say, Hey, today it's not that big a deal. As long as you take care of your SD cards, you can see or Yeah. Even SD cards are fine. They don't ever fail anymore. And, uh, okay, I do. I follow. I, I've got podcasts that tell you how to take care of your SD cards. So you can go check those out at phototacopodcast.com if you want to know. I follow all that stuff. I have not had a card fail, but I would never. I'm even a hobbyist. I don't do this professionally. Mm -hmm. I would never consider doing a family portrait shoot, which is something you can actually reshoot. But I still, I don't want to. It's painful enough to have dad like <laughs> there doing a portrait shoot. He's not coming back <laughs> a second time in a couple of weeks to try to do it again because my, my SD card failed. I just would never consider shooting that with a single slot. And I, I don't know. I guess there's people who are willing to, to say that's fine. I've already heard from lots of them who say this isn't a problem, but uh, I, I, why not? I just don't understand why you don't just make it a non-issue. Put another slot in there. It's just, right. It's, I don't it, understand. It, it totally depends on what you're shooting. I mean, to say it's not a pro camera, that's not, you know, you can't go that far sure. really because, you know, there's plenty of pro, pro landscape photographers that'll be completely happy with this. But you can't ask somebody that's shooting $20,000 weddings to use a card, <laughs> to use a camera with one card because if they lose half of the ceremony, a full <laughs> ceremony, oh, gosh. you know, they are getting sued and, and no camera is worth getting sued for that much. So it's, it's a pro camera for some people right. that are shooting easily repeatable things that you can't get sued for. But if you're somebody that shoots uh, really important stuff, you know, you can't go into, let's say a, you know, 
some kind of press event where like the president is giving a, a, a state of the union speech and you go in with a camera with one card slot. <laughs> That's stuff like that is, is unacceptable. So it's not a pro camera in that regard. It's a pro landscape camera for sure, but it's, there's definitely some things that this is just for that one feature right there. It, it's unsuitable for just because of that one decision. And I think that they, that was easily correctable because it's got a giant grip and I'm sure yep. they could have fit it. Yep. And, and the next version is going to be there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I guarantee <laughs> they will not do this on the next body. It will have two. <laughs> yep. The only people that are defending their, their decision to only put one card slot are Nikon endorsed <laughs> photographers. Yeah. You know, that they're the only people that are defending it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. Just yeah. doesn't make sense. Uh, uh, it's not totally crippling without it, but why not? It, it wouldn't take much to put it in there. So, all right, let's move on to the next con. This is the one that's probably the very biggest to me. Um, I could even handle, I guess, the single SD card slot. It'd make me super nervous in my family portraits, but I could probably get by with it. But this one won't. <laughs> uh, it has to do with autofocus. And I have a number of bullet points here based on kind of the the stuff that the re hands-on reviewers said. So again, secondhand, I don't have experience with it, but th what they said was it just didn't seem to work very well. Uh, multiple reviewers said the autofocus, it, it reminded them of Sony cameras of several years ago, which had very big challenges in this, in this place. They, and it missed focus on like every type of subject they tested. So what, and, and frequently like less than half of the shots were mm -hmm. actually in focus and it wasn't a, a certain condition. It wasn't like, Oh, it was in low light and the subject was moving and then it did poorly. No, it was universal. All of them were saying, this has really struggled with focus. This is not what we're used to from a Nikon camera. They, they get focused better than this. Um, they also don't have auto eye focus. So, so Nick talked about that at the top of the podcast, how this was a feature that was really helping him be convinced he should go to Sony that auto eye detect and focus on that eye. That's it's, it's a big, big deal. Sony's had it there for a long time. They completely nailed it by now. And Nikon coming to market without having that had, it seems like a problem. Like it's not as good as what Sony's mm -hmm. offering. What's what's going on here? Maybe it's because they've had some struggles with it working at all. Why they couldn't do that and have it be in there? I, I don't know. We're, we're gonna have to see how things develop. Uh, another few things about the focus. Uh, Nikon has changed the organization of focus points. So um, there there isn't a dedicated hardware button to go change your focus points. Mo like what mode you're using they use they've had that as a staple for a long time on their pro bodies and that's not there you can kind of fix that by assigning a button to do the same function you can go in you know through the menu and say well i want to i'll reassign this button to do that feature but it's not there which is kind of uh concerning to some a lot of nikon pros like i need that button i'm so used to using it that's where i need it to be it's it's like automatic muscle memory and now it's not there and i, I and even though i can reassign a button it's not in the same spot um, also, no group mode at all and for tracking, and they only have the D9 tracking mode instead of D21 or D25. And a lot of the Nikon users that I've heard from, 
the D21, D25 is a big deal to them. They, they think that, uh, especially for like really erratic movement, it does a way better job than D9. So they're kind of uh, perturbed. They're like, why did you take that out of here? And uh, what's going on? Maybe again, it has to do with kind of an overall struggle with autofocus in general. And it's just not up to what they want yet. Um, the body also stops down. This is not unique to, to Nikon. It stops down to um, uh, five six. Uh, and stays there all the time well, five six or uh more open whichever's wider and so it, it's hard to explain <laughs> yeah so if you're shooting at like f8 in a dark shooting yep. situation um it stays at five six to get focus and then when you take the photo it'll go the rest of the way to f8 right but if you're shooting at like f2.8 it, it's wide open at that and you point out that Sony cameras, they stop down to whatever aperture you're shooting at, even in low light situations, and they focus at that stopped down aperture, which can be a problem in low light situations. Like if you're shooting a dark reception or something and you're shooting F8, of, I don't know why you would, but if you're shooting <laughs> right. at F8 in a dark situation, it's going to attempt to find focus at F8. It's not letting very much light in and it's going to struggle. And... You know, so that can be a big deal, but I guess the way I think of it is in those dark shooting situations, most of the time I'm shooting wide, wide open, open anyway. Yeah. So it's going to focus okay, right. typically. So it was yeah. something that people raised and, and because of the EVF, I don't think they have a choice. You, they want to show the depth of field. They want to try to approximate yeah. that in the EVF. So you, they have to do this. It has to be at that aperture all the time. So you can see it in the EVF. And I gladly give up a little bit of... I like the rare occasion where this would be a problem in order to have that EVF be as accurate as possible um, of what you're going to yeah. get when you push the shutter button. So I don't, yeah. I included it here for completeness, but I, I don't know that this is like a massive con to me. I, I don't think this is that big a deal. I think it's going to be a problem for any mirrorless camera for whatever kind of a problem it is. And I just don't think it's that big of one. Yeah. I think uh, it's going to affect people shooting with flash more than more than anybody else. Sure. Because if you're shooting in a studio environment, maybe it's slightly dim and you're shooting stuff at like F16 for depth of field, it might struggle with autofocus in that situation. Um, so that that's going to be the situation doing product photography, stuff like that, where you're stopped down quite a bit. And as a result, it's not letting very much light into focus. Yeah. And then it would it will miss the focus. So you're right that, okay, maybe that's a scenario where it would become a bigger deal and it's, but it's not going to be unique to Nikon. It's not going to be unique no. to Sony. It's kind Mirrorless of in general. So yep. may, maybe the solution would have to be some kind of a button you push to say, all right, I don't care about having depth of field simulated in the EVF. Go ahead and just open up wide to get the focus to work right. Uh, for yeah. a second and, and have it go. And that would be totally doable. They could easily make that happen. It's quite part of the beauty is uh, how rapidly uh, the expectations is. It's a nice industry thing that's happened. We all have this expectation now that mirrorless cameras just get updates like all the time. So you don't have to wait for the next body for them to fix something. Uh, we have this expectation and hopefully that's going to happen with Nikon too. And they're going to be able to fix some of this stuff. And maybe all of this is addressable. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Maybe, maybe the whole autofocus thing uh, won't be a problem at all in the, in the actual production models. Like we said, they have some time to go look at things and figure out what to do about it. So, so maybe this will all be off the con list before they even release it. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, all right. Battery life is the next one. I don't want to spend a lot of time here. I had a lot in the show notes, but 
yeah okay the battery life is not rated to be nearly as high it's it's like uh 200 more shots on the d850 on a single charge yeah you got an evf you got to power the whole time there's it's not as good a battery life maybe as their dslrs are getting but they're getting it's it's enough it's good enough plus you add a grip which some people i may even want regardless just for the ergonomics and make it so that i feel more comfortable handling the camera so it's more expensive potentially you gotta maybe you have to change the batteries more i did make a, a big deal out of it as like my perfect mirrorless i would have a good battery but in the end here it's that's uh, a tiny little con <laughs> it's not that big a deal yeah uh okay uh, another one is Native lenses are going to be a long time coming, and this one's probably a fairly significant one. Now, sure, you can adapt F-mount glass to the new Z-mount, and the reviews were that that seems to work pretty well, although it's kind of hard to tell. With autofocus not going so well, you can't really tell what the impact's going to be then if you're adapting glass, because that's the downside of adapting glass for other systems. Uh, granted, it's cross-system, so you know there's there's not full support there like Nikon's going to have here. So there's a better chance that this is going to work well, and that's that's all great. But you're not going to be able to leverage like the full width of that mount, for example. The possibilities that are there, uh, maybe the image stabilization stuff won't be able to work as well with F mount because of the size of the the opening. It, there's there's it's just going to be better with native. It has to be. There's just no way around yeah. it, and it's going to take a while for that to come into play. So they they launched this cameras these cameras with three lenses. You get a 35 millimeter 1.8, a 50 millimeter 1.8, and a 24 to 70 f4. So no Trinity, uh, at least not with 2.8. The 2470, that's going to be a decent lens, I'm sure. And I think the reviews were, yeah, it seems to seems to be a nice sharp lens, but it only goes to f4. And uh, you got to wait until sometime in 2019. They haven't said when exactly before you get the 24 to 70 2.8 and the 70 to 200 2.8, uh, which they're also and they're also going to release like an 85 1.8 and 14 to 30 f4. And they they have a whole roadmap, so you can go check that out if you want to. Uh, but it's going to take some time for the native glass mm-hmm. to come around. And that's kind of a con because you have competitors that have native glass. They're there. It's that Sony has a pretty decent lineup. They may be expensive, like Nick said, but they're there and they're an option and yep. you get incredible results with it. And uh, so it's kind of a con at this point. It's going to change as 2019 ends. You're going to have... Uh, some pretty decent lenses that are available and as you go further into 2020 but it's going to take some time to get there so for now this is kind of a con that you just don't have much in the way of native glass available yeah if you're somebody jumping into the system you better be a very patient person right <laughs> because because it, you know they did release that that uh, roadmap for lens releases but you're looking at like two years and <laughs> right. you know, th- this can this camera body could potentially be obsolete right. by the time you have a Trinity, you know, and it's tough. And I, I know Sony lenses are expensive, but there's absolutely no guarantee that these are not going to be just as expensive right, too, right. because there might be, uh, you know, extra, you know, cost involved with building these lenses. Who knows? Right. And it's, that that's always the the scary part of being an early adopter to anything like this is that you don't really know what those future lenses are going to look like and it's going to take forever to even get them yeah it's 
it's going to be a patient. You're going to have to be patient to jump into this system for a while. Still probably makes the most sense if you have a bunch of F mount glass right now, because now you can actually use it and it's going to work yep. of any possible way you can leverage your F mount to get into mirrorless. This is absolutely going to be the best way. No, yeah, no question. Because, because this adapter has to work better than what's available right. to adapt to Sony, because for whatever reason, I, I'm not sure exactly why N Nikon lenses have never adapted well to Sony. Sure. And that's, that's why there's been so many people kind of hang on to their, their, their Nikon stuff because there just really hasn't been a very easy transition for them anywhere else. Right. So, so I could see it being, um, especially if they can get autofocus kind of worked out. Cause that seems to, to me to be the real killer thing to me. If they can get that worked out, this becomes a really, really good option for people that have a lot of existing investment in Nikon glass. So that it, it could easily be taken off the con list. Uh, if that proves out to be working really well and the autofocus is good. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. All right. The last con that I have is a, a little more to talk about with the frames per second and the buffer. So it's again, this is kind of a little con. This is getting into the, the <laughs> we're, we're splitting hairs a little bit <laughs> with this kind of stuff. Um, but if I didn't bring it up, I, I think people would be like, hey, you didn't talk about this. So I'm going to talk about it. Uh, you can get 12 frames per second. We talked about that on the Z6 and nine frames per second on the Z7 at full resolution. But you can only do it at 12 bit, not 14 bit. Again, I don't think that's that big of a deal. You can go check out a photo taco podcast on that. If you're interested, I did one that said compared like what you give up 12 bit versus 14 bit. You can check the show notes for that or go to phototacopodcast.com and look up raw bit depth, do a search for that. Um, so I, I, that's not why this is a, a little tiny bit of splitting hair in the con category. Uh, it has to come with kind of the, how the buffer feels in, in association with that. So you get 36 shots on the Z6 before the buffer fills up. And now you're going to slow down to like a crawl. We're not talking about like even 5.5 frames per second. It's going to be <laughs> like nothing. <laughs> it's going to be seconds to the shot yeah, rather than yeah, the yeah. shots to the second. <laughs> right. And, and then um, only nine shots on the Z7 before that buffer is going to get filled up when you when you're going nine frames a second. So that's not very many shots. It's like 400% less buffer than the D850, for example, like a lot less buffer, which is kind of interesting to me how this it's so much different. I don't know why technologically that's such a massive thing here, but it is. That's that's what the specs have. Um, so that's not a typo. Nine shots to nine fill the buffer. shots to fill the buffer. Yep, that's Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just answer you with silence. That's, that's all I got. All right. So, so I mean, in, in real use, you're not likely to want the Z7 to go do continuous auto, you know, shooting. That's just not the use case for why you buy that camera. So you'd, you'd probably be using the Z6 anyway. 12 frames a second is a very good frame rate. 36 shots. That gives you a whole three seconds that you can hold down that shutter button before you're to a crawl. That's enough. That's that's okay. Even for sports, um, I never sh hold down my shutter for three seconds. I don't want to. I don't want to wade through three full seconds of continuous. Uh, you know, thirty six. That's just insane. That's a lot of shots. And so, so I. That's why I say this is kind of splitting hairs a little bit for the use case. There, I think it's enough. I think it's sufficient. Um, but if you do happen to have a use case where you need more than that for some reason. You, you're dead at that point. It's over. <clears throat> you don't get to do that. The other thing that does happen to um, is they, they aperture, they lock the AE, the aperture exposure stuff 
at the first shot. So the, the, when you, when you press down the shutter button, you're going to rip off a bunch of these 36 frames. Uh, it's going to do the metering. If you're in, in aperture priority mode, you're going to, it's going to do the metering on that first shot and set the exposure. And then it's going to rip off all 36 at exactly the same exposure. It won't re-meter again. I don't think that's that big of a deal. No, I don't think that's a big deal either, but yeah. And also another thing that I've heard some of the early reviews talk about, but I don't, I don't know exactly, uh, you know, how bad it is, but the blackout in between frames apparently is pretty significant. Like you're getting, you're getting quite a few frames per second for all nine shots. <laughs> and then, but the blackout in between frames apparently is pretty substantial from what I understand. And it makes it tracking something very difficult when you can't even see it. Right. Okay. I do have to correct it. I pulled the wrong number <laughs> into okay. the show notes. Uh, I pulled the frames per second number. It is 23. So not quite okay. as bad as 23 shots on the Z7. Before Man, the, the specs are getting out. better all the time. That's right. Like, <laughs> if we record long enough, it'll be shooting you, 40. You made me question myself as you asked, like, is that not a typo? Like, I better go make sure before we're, before we're done recording. I don't want to have to, like, get pummeled. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would, that would be brutal. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you know, the blackout in between frames, I think is a much bigger deal than the, the exposure being locked on uh, at, with the first frame. Uh, and another really important part of this is how long is it going to take for that buffer to empty? So, so yeah. sometimes, you know, if the, the buffer fills fast, that can be a big deal if it stays full. Like on the Sony system, it does take a long time for that buffer to empty, which is a problem. But if it if on these cameras that buffer that may be smaller empties faster, that's a, that's a good deal and that'll be enough. Yeah, and that would be uh, more than splitting hairs at that point. If that's slow, now you have the potential that, yeah, I, I did a quick burst here, but I can't do another burst for another minute. That's a problem. <laughs> that's a big problem. That's a problem. So, and you know, there's, there's plenty of times when you're, I'm shooting football where I will just like, I'll just sure. mash it down and I will fill that buffer up. Um, especially when something is really happening and you don't know exactly when that perfect moment's going to be. Uh, but you know, the blackout in between frames is going to be a pretty big deal. Right. Okay. Those that wraps up the pros and cons, the things that are kind of important. We didn't cover every feature obviously, but they're most of the features. If, if we didn't talk about it, they're on par with, with stuff that's out there. So we talked about the things that are, are like leading and the things that are negative. My final thoughts here before we rewrap up and we've gone on quite a while. So thanks Nick for sticking with me for this. No problem. I'm still awake. Hopefully everybody else is too. <laughs> Brian, Brian probably is not. As soon as I start yeah. talking stats, he's, he starts snoring. So, <laughs> uh, okay. My final thoughts here. Um, if this camera, if these bodies were released four years ago, this would have been an unbelievable start into the mirrorless world. Nikon's product would have been right there with all the mirrorless offerings. All you'd have all the advantage of like the existing F mount glass. So the the con about like you don't have native glass, that'd be okay because at that point four years ago, there weren't a lot of competitive offerings that had glass to offer. They were building their their lineup at that point too. Mm-hmm. But it's not four years ago. <laughs> it's I- 2018 and they didn't catch up with Sony here when they when they released it. That's just not on paper 
on par with the Sony cameras and neither were the hands-on reviews from most people or a good portion of people who had hands-on. They had these really high expectations. They were hoping that Nikon was going to really nail this and bring out some bodies that were on par with Sony. They didn't have to beat Sony, but make it so that it was truly competitive with Sony and and provide a really good option for people with F-mount glass. Now, it still may be a pretty decent option for people with F-mount. I, I think if anybody, if it makes sense for anybody to give this camera a try, it's people who have a lot of Nikon gear and they, they, and they want to get kind of a, a experience with mirrorless and see if it fits, especially those landscape photographers yep. that might really make sense for that specific use case. But I just don't, I don't get why it even happened this way. Like Nikon had the benefit of without even having to pay for anything, seeing what Sony's gone through for the last several years. That's been very visible. The, the problems that have been there and that Sony's overcome over the last several years, that's all very publicized. Why didn't they leverage that? Be like, hey, we can't, we got to make sure this isn't there. We got to make sure that's not there. We got to make, we got to follow suit and make sure we, we got to learn from Sony's mistakes. Let's not pay for them ourselves. Let's learn from Sony's mistakes and let's make sure that we, we come out on par with Sony and it just, they fell short. They didn't quite meet the mark. Yeah. They were in this awesome position where they could sit back and learn from the mistakes of other people, (laughs) you know, and they, I feel like they were just a little bit too rushed and maybe they just weren't 100% tuned into what people wanted from it. I think this is going to be an absolutely amazing landscape photography camera. It's going to be probably a good portrait camera as well, but uh, just a couple of the shortcomings are really, uh, are really big oversights. And I think that we would have all cut them a little bit more slack had they not released not one, not three, but five teaser videos, <laughs> five <laughs> teaser videos to get us all excited and talk about this is the future of mirrorless. And then they're like, well, and they give us this and it's like, there's a lot of really good stuff, but there's a lot of really bad stuff too. And you can't say that it's revolutionizing mirrorless camera technology if they're leaving out really important things. Apparently, you know, I don't know. It's it's <laughs> annoying because the amount of effort they put into their teaser videos, but then they leave out really important stuff. Yeah. I, I just, I don't understand how they didn't, meet that mark. It's, I, I think they're capable. I think they're, it's not like they're not smart enough to do this. None of that. They, they produce such fabulous cameras. The D850 is regarded as like one of the best, best DSLR cameras ever produced. Yeah. But this is not that in the mirrorless world. It's just not. But, you know, the, the thing about, and I was always kind of suspicious as to how it was going to autofocus because secretly I was thinking to myself, I should have been more public about it so I could be like, I told you so. Yeah, but, sure you did. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, but secret, if you've ever used <laughs> even a D850 and you've shot with it in live view, the live view autofocus has always been kind of meh. Yeah. You know, it's not nearly as good as most other cameras. Nikon in general has been pretty poor at both video autofocus and autofocus and live view and mirrorless technology you know uses that type of of autofocus heavily in you know the way that they focus and 
So it's kind of not a huge surprise that it's not focusing well because Nikon's been kind of notorious for not focusing well in video and not focusing well in live view. And it's probably going to take them another camera before they really dial in their autofocus. And that's just going to have all of those DA50 owners really turn their nose up at this camera because their DA50 is probably going to be a far superior camera in the way of autofocus. Right. Yeah, it's probably it, it, there may be that landscape photographer where this this may make a ton of sense. Sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. But outside I, of that, it, I I'm imagining people may try this and say, okay, it's just not quite there. Just not quite there. Maybe next <laughs> year. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You can wait. You can wait three years and get a really a really good Nikon, or you can just buy a Sony now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you, Nick, for coming on. We, we're going to end the show here with our doodads and then some reminders. But thanks, thanks so much for joining me. I, I gave, I didn't give Nick much notice on this, so he's he's being a really good friend <laughs> coming on yeah, with me. He told me uh, one hour and five minutes ago that we were going to record. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite that bad, but but it was uh, it was short notice, and, and I, I'm so glad that you could come on. I have so much fun recording with you, so it's great. Um, yeah, no all right, doodads. I'm going to start off. I'm going to do something totally free today. Um, I want to... Talking about the XQD cards was what brought this to mind. And so a resource every photographer should should have uh, bookmarked on the web. It's uh, cameramemoryspeed.com. So I I mentioned that earlier, Jeff Steinward. Uh, We did a photo talk episode called Memory Cards Explained back in April 2017. You should go check out that episode too if you want to learn something about memory cards, kind of how to take care of them and and, uh, what the difference is between the various memory cards. But what I really want to make sure you do is is go to that site. Um, He may not have real world testing for all of the cameras that are out there. I, I know he doesn't, but there's a lot of them that he has done actual testing, putting an actual memory card into the slot of the camera and testing how fast it works. Like how quickly does it buffer? How quickly does it actually write and clear the buffer? All of those kinds of statistics. He's got all that information out there and it can help you kind of figure out what you need to buy for your camera. You can certainly buy cards that are faster and kind of future-proof things where if you upgrade your body, you've already got cards that are going to be fast enough to handle it. Although if everyone's going to go to XQD, you're not going to have that XCD. Um, So anyway, you should go check out that site. It's really super informative to be able to help you get guidance on like what brand of SD card, which one should you get to get the most performance out of the card slot in your camera. They are not all created equal. So... Uh, go check that out. All right, Nick, what do, you, cool. what do you have? So I'm going to spend lots of people's money because <laughs> <laughs> I love spending other people's money. Um, so I, I love really right stuff things and I use the L brackets on my cameras but one of the things that I've recently picked up that I'm absolutely in love with is the replacement foot for the tripod collar. So when you have like, I have my 100 to 400 and these replacement foots will, or foots, feet, will <laughs> will replace the one that comes on the camera. And what's cool about it is the it's actually in the shape of an Arca Swiss plate. So the foot itself mounts right on top of your, of your ball head. And not only that, but these are lighter than what comes on the camera. So you're saving weight. They have a really nice, large kind of uh, ergonomic grip to them. 
It makes it easier for just packing your lens around uh, by the collar. It also has um, threaded holes where you can, you know, add like a some some kind of uh, other type of strap. But I also have their QD, their quick release strap, where it works really, really well. If you've never seen that, I'm not going to take the time to explain <laughs> them, but they work really, really well. But uh, these replacement tripod collar feet. Is that how you say that? Replacement <laughs> replacement feet for your tripod collar on your telephoto lenses. Okay. Uh, really, really good buy. Uh, they work so well. They save weight. And you don't have to sit there and mess with a, a quick release plate mounted to that that always ends up spinning and stuff. Right. It, it just works so much better. Very cool. It's, it's eliminating one piece of kit. And I like it. But it's really right stuff. So it's like a million dollars, right? It's like a hundred bucks. <laughs> okay. For it's a hundred bucks. All right. But, but it saves weight and saves a plate and it's, and that rhymes. It and did it's rhyme. <laughs> this is why you're a podcaster, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And not a rapper. And <laughs> All right. For everyone who's stuck around for the, <laughs> for the end of this show, uh, just quick reminders, masterphotographypodcast.com. It's the new home for the show. So head over there for the show notes and there's pretty extensive show notes. So if you want to check out kind of the statistics, some of the stuff that we talked about or anything from other shows, they're all there. So go check that out. You can join our Facebook group over at Master Photography Podcast. Uh, just search for it. You're going to have to ask to join and you're going to have to provide the name of a host and we'll even take Nick's name as the name of Ooh. a host. So man, you, you're really opening it up to this thing. Okay. <laughs> you know, we, we get a lot that still say Nick Page as they try to join. <laughs> so that's good. Um, you can find my work at jsharmanphotos.com or find my other podcast over at phototacopodcast.com where I get really geeky. So if you if you liked the geeky stuff here, you need to go check out that podcast. Um, and then uh, Nick, where can people find you? You can find my website, nickpagephotography.com. You can find my podcast, landscapephotographypodcast.com. Find me on YouTube, Instagram. Just do a search for Nick Page. I guess that's pretty much it. So, so yep. Lord Nick Page won't work. Nah, no, no, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> no, yeah, taking no, over the world uh, yet. Yep. But I uh, got a lot of exciting things coming up. Um, new tutorials coming out soon. Um, a whole bunch of workshops. So yeah, yep, Nick does a fabulous job. If you haven't checked out of any of his training, it's awesome. He does a great job with it. I, uh, I miss seeing all of that stuff. So, it's, uh, he does a good job. All right. That's it. So thank you again so much, Nick, for, for joining me. And we will see you all again in another seven days. <laughs>